Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Our story moves from the gaudy lobby of New York's Trump Tower to the elegant 177-year-old Barlack Hotel. Located on the banks of Lake Zurich in Switzerland, the five-star Barlack Hotel is the type of place you walk in and immediately stand up a little straighter. You can expect to find businessmen in handcrafted suits alongside exquisite women wearing the latest fashion from Paris and Milan. With its manicured private gardens along Lake Zurich, a lobby adorned not just with art, but with 19th century European tapestries, its rooms can run into the thousands of dollars a night. It is as much a hotel as it is a parade of wealth, power, and privilege. Another important fact, the Borlach is the place 
FIFA executives stay when they're in town visiting the organization's headquarters. Just a short 10-minute or so drive from the hotel, you'll find FIFA House, as the headquarters is called. It couldn't be more different than the ritzy Boralac Hotel. A modern steel and glass structure, FIFA House is a fortress. It was built two-thirds underground, almost as if FIFA meant it to be impenetrable. Almost as if FIFA had something to hide. The headquarters was built on the watch of longtime FIFA president, Sepp Blatter, who liked to say, and I quote, places where people make decisions should only contain indirect light. So why have I taken you on this architectural tour of Zurich? Because this is where that 2010 meeting between Chuck Blazer and agents from the FBI and the IRS would lead us. I'm Connor Powell. This is Episode 2, The Raid. On the morning of May 27, 2015, just as the sun was coming up over Zurich, soccer's most powerful men were gathered in the Borlach Hotel for a meeting later that day at FIFA House. Unbeknownst to them, two New York Times reporters had taken up seats in the hotel's lobby, tipped off that something big was about to go down. We told the gentleman behind the front desk that we were there for a breakfast meeting and would it be all right if we waited? And he said, sure. That's Sam Borden, a longtime sports journalist, now with ESPN. Sam doesn't normally wear a suit, but he told me he decided that spring morning he should. The Borlock, he thought, was the type of place where men waiting in the lobby should look the part. Borden and investigative reporter Michael Schmidt were there on assignment for the New York Times. They knew something important was about to happen, something that would rock the cloistered world of international soccer. Then it began. And about 6, 6 a.m., all of a sudden, a group of a dozen, maybe 18, 16, 18 men walk into the lobby. It became very clear that something was going to happen. Wearing jeans, dark sweatshirts, and sneakers, this pedestrian mix of Swiss police and American FBI agents couldn't have looked more out of place. And yet, the hotel was now firmly in their control. They go to the front desk and they show a whole bunch of paperwork to the gentleman behind the front desk. Presumably, these are arrest warrants. And obviously, at this point, there's sort of a commotion in the lobby because there's like one, maybe two people working this early morning shift at the hotel. And now, all of a sudden, there's several dozen police officials in the lobby. Schmidt sent a tweet to his thousands of followers. It read, Swiss law enforcement getting room numbers for FIFA executives. They are heading upstairs to arrest. Schmidt and Borden were recording the initial moments of the most significant corruption takedown in international sports history. And yet it was a surprisingly civilized affair. I'm sitting there and I'm just watching the elevator, looking to see, okay, when an elevator leaves the lobby, I'll be able to tell what floor it goes to by looking at the numbers above the doors. And at some point, the elevator starts moving, and I see that it's going to, I think it was either the third or the fourth floor. So I go up to the third or the fourth floor, and I follow 
several police officials as they go down the hall, you know, from a distance, but follow them and they knock on the door. I was sort of expecting it to be like something you would see from a movie where these guys would be like in, you know, uniforms and, you know, riot gear and carrying like big guns and just sort of kick the door in. And it was not like that at all. I remember thinking in the moment that if you were sleeping in the room next door, I don't know that you would have been woken up. Sam Borden went on to describe the raid in a way I've never heard a police raid described. It was very pleasant. As pleasant as law enforcement's demeanor might have been, it was a rude awakening for the seven FIFA officials whose hotel doors received those polite knocks. These lords of soccer had entered the Borlach Hotel expecting to enjoy the protections that come with great privilege. Now they were being marched out in the harsh morning light. Indicted criminals using whatever they could to shield themselves from the public's glare. We saw several of those FIFA officials led from the hotel. I think it was the hotel staff trying to protect their appearance, if not their dignity, with white hotel sheets. Word of the dawn raid spread quickly around the world as newspapers, TV stations, and social media reported the arrests. Major corruption crackdown going down right now. Arrests made around the world. This morning was like something out of a crime thriller. High-ranking officials from FIFA, the sports governing body, arrested in an overnight raid in Switzerland, the result of a sweeping FBI investigation. The U.S. Justice Department accuses them of corruption and bribe-taking involving tens of millions of dollars. The raid was the culmination of a U.S. federal case years in the making, an investigation that had largely stalled until the IRS flipped Chuck Blazer that fateful November day outside Trump Tower in Manhattan. The allegations hardly came as a surprise to longtime FIFA critics, but the fact that it was breaking out in the open was, in a word, shocking. FIFA had operated with impunity for decades, and yet, As significant as these arrests were, the scope of the scandal was only just coming into focus. Now, you might ask yourself, why did it take so long to do something about FIFA and its corrupt leadership? Part of the answer is in how absolutely huge soccer is as a sport and how important it is to the leaders of FIFA's member nations, the same leaders who are vying to host big tournaments like the World Cup, are the ones who would have to take enforcement action against FIFA. Let me try to offer some perspective. Here is the planet's ultimate game. Soccer is a popular game. If you live in the United States, it's hard to gauge just how popular it is. Some fans describe it as a religion, or at least as important as religion. And they're not kidding. Here's a comparison. About 103 million people watched the Super Bowl in 2018. That same year, some three and a half billion people, if you can believe it, watched the World Cup tournament. With more than a billion alone tuning in for the final match between Croatia and France. It will be some can-can on the Champs-Élysées tonight. France are the champions of the world. While it's possible you weren't one of them, it's likely you know someone who did, especially if you know someone who lives in Europe, Asia, South America, or Africa. Pretty much the entire rest of the world where soccer is king 
Imagine then the power one has to oversee a sport of that magnitude. As you already know, FIFA runs the World Cup, along with a host of other related tournaments. But the organization thinks of itself as something more almost divine. At FIFA, it's our responsibility to develop the game for future generations and to protect its integrity. That's part of FIFA's mission statement from a few years ago. You can find it on their website. And it's, well, absolutely absurd. Football is the heart and soul of FIFA. It's debatable whether soccer, the game, or the lessons it imparts are even a top priority. Money and the making of money and the finding ways to stuff that money into offshore bank accounts, that seems to be far more important for soccer's ruling elite. And here's how the FIFA machine is structured. FIFA governs the sport internationally and organizes the men's and women's World Cup tournaments, which are held every four years. FIFA hosts several smaller tournaments as well. Collectively, they bring in more than $4 billion in revenue. Pretty good money for an organization that doesn't run any leagues, just a few tournaments every couple of years. FIFA is, for the most part, an association of countries. There are currently 211 members, which means FIFA is actually larger than the United Nations. Because while a country like the United Kingdom is part of the UN, Wales, England, and Scotland are all separate members of FIFA. And each has one vote in our democratic system. FIFA is separated into six regional confederations, each with its own staggering history of corruption. But most of our story will focus on the big three. UEFA the European Confederation, CONCACAF, the North American one, and CAMEBOL, South America's umbrella organization. As the guardians of the global game, it is our duty to serve the world of football. At the top of FIFA is the president and the executive committee. These are really the lords of soccer, several of whom in 2015 were arrested at the Borlach Hotel. In theory, they set the vision and craft the strategy for FIFA and the global soccer community. In reality, for the most part, they treat the sport like their own personal fiefdoms and FIFA like their own private piggy bank. And on the long list of crooked soccer officials, Jack Warner is a standout. He's the former president of CONCACAF and buddy to Chuck Blazer. He also sent that email to Blazer you heard about in episode one that caused Blazer's meltdown. For years, Warner was one of the sport's most powerful executives and its most corrupt. Warner's story is almost unbelievable. And it serves as an illustration of what FIFA really was and how business really got done. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us, they beat us, they burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on 
you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. 
if you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The honor guard snapped to attention as the frail South African anti-apartheid leader exited the Gulfstream jet. It was the spring of 2004, and Nelson Mandela was unwell. He struggled to walk down the plane's short staircase and then across the tarmac to where a small podium was waiting. Mandela, the Nobel Prize-winning activist, managed only a few words, but the excited crowd of politicians and locals didn't seem to care as they yelled out his nickname, Madiba, Madiba. At 85 years old, Mandela was exhausted. He hadn't slept on the 24-hour flight from South Africa to Trinidad and Tobago. He really didn't want to be there. But his country needed him once again. And for Jack Warner, FIFA's powerful vice president, that was leverage. Now, at this time, Mandela hadn't been traveling anywhere under doctor's orders. But Warner insisted. So South Africa, for the sake of the World Cup bid, essentially had Mandela defy doctors to make the trip across the ocean to Trinidad. That's journalist Lasana Liburd, who's been reporting on CONCACAF for more than a decade. South Africa was on the cusp of winning the right to host the 2010 World Cup, the first African nation to do so. Four years earlier, South Africa had been the bookmakers' favourites to win the 2006 World Cup bid. After losing out unexpectedly, the pressure was on their leaders to deliver. Mandela's visit to Trinidad and Tobago was seen as key to securing Jack Warner's all-important support. He was just one of 24 voters, but Warner was known as a kingmaker within FIFA. If Mandela could woo the cagey FIFA executive... South Africa would be one very crucial step closer to hosting the 2010 World Cup. It was far from a done deal. As a member of FIFA's executive committee, Warner had already been to Morocco and Egypt. Warner, along with Chuck Blazer and other FIFA executives, had been wined, dined, and nearly bribed. In Marrakesh, they were given fine china, handmade rugs, and offered $1 million dollars for their votes. While in Cairo, Warner asked for $7 million from the Egyptians. They turned them down. Instead, the Egyptians organized a 50-car motorcade to the pyramids of Giza, where the 4,000-year-old Sphinx was wired with speakers and announced, I have waited thousands of years to host the FIFA World Cup. The stunts didn't work, and here's why. Warner was an ambitious politician. He saw an opportunity at home that went beyond money. Bringing the legendary Mandela to Trinidad and Tobago would bolster Warner politically in a way money couldn't. It also illustrated the extent of his power. In FIFA's world, if Warner said jump, even South Africa's most famous son was forced to say, how high? South Africa's gamble 
appeared to have worked once the votes were counted. The 2010 FIFA World Cup will be organized in South Africa. It was South Africa's moment. The country, indeed the continent, was at the center of the world, a nation in ecstasy. Everyone said it was Mandela magic that bagged them the tournament. To the outside world, it seemed as if Mandela's charm, personal determination, and strength of character had won over Warner, who, along with Blazer, helped secure South Africa's victory. But after investigators raided the Barlack Hotel in May of 2015, an entirely different, darker story emerged. It's the $10 million question. Was this historic moment the result of a $10 million bribe? A defining moment in football. The 2010 World Cup on African soil for the first time and attended by Nelson Mandela, the former president synonymous with the end of apartheid in South Africa. Now its legacy is at risk. U.S. prosecutors allege South African football officials paid a $10 million bribe to secure the rights to host the tournament. Warner wasn't moved by Mandela. Warner was bribed. It's emerged the money was first transferred to FIFA in Switzerland, then to Trinidadian and former FIFA vice president Jack Warner. The FBI says they tried to disguise the bribe. South African officials insisted the payment made to FIFA was above board and was supposed to support the development of soccer among the African diaspora in the Caribbean. Here's the South African sports minister at the time. The fact that a payment of 10 million rands, U.S. dollars, was made to an approved program above board does not equate to bribery. But the money, accepted by FIFA and then approved for payment by its general secretary, Jerome Valk, wasn't paid to CONCACAF or any other legitimate soccer organization in the Caribbean. Instead, it was paid directly to Jack Warner. Here again is journalist Lasana Liburd. Warner didn't make a habit of leveraging his position for the benefit of, of Caribbean football or Trinidad and Tobago football as much as he tried to paint that picture. As we see now, uh, particularly with the investigations within the U.S., he leveraged his position to, to suit himself financially. Here's the BBC confronting Jack Warner, trying to get to the bottom of the bribery scandal. Can you tell us where the $10 million went, Mr. Warner, where did the $10 million go to? Can you tell us one project, Mr. Warner? When confronted, Warner couldn't account for the money. But journalists later uncovered documents that showed FIFA's payments went straight into accounts controlled by Warner in Trinidad and Tobago. Nearly $5 million came through here, and there's not a football pitch in sight. Once it was paid to Warner, the money just disappeared. This type of brazen bribery was common, and not only with Warner, but throughout FIFA. Our problems here always went well beyond uh, Jack Warner. And in fact, I would say that the corruption that we saw with Jack Warner was really only a symptom. It was always stage handled in Zurich. It was set up for him to profit off of because that's all we are to FIFA, really, just votes. The votes Liebert refers to are, of course, for World Cup bids. Jack Warner left FIFA in disgrace in 2011, kicked out, as you heard in the previous episode, for trying to fix the presidential election in favor of Mohammed bin Hammam. But Warner's exit didn't change much. In fact, his successor at CONCACAF, Jeffrey Webb, tried as hard as he could 
to replicate Warner's predatory ways. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's January 2014, and Dakar, Senegal. As CONCACAF's new president strides to the podium, he radiates stylish sophistication. With perfectly tailored suits and a designer watch collection, Jeffrey Webb didn't just shine in a room, he commanded it. On this night, he was getting honored by the United Nations for his work to raise awareness about HIV-AIDS, just one of the many initiatives he had launched when he took control of CONCACAF, the North American Soccer Confederation. I have the mindset that, you know what, the game can, can impact society. That's Webb. But it was Webb's dual promise of confronting racism in soccer. We are not going to, to rid uh, racism from, from our society, but we must rid it from, from our game. And of cleaning up corruption. We must move the clouds and allow the sunshine in. It's a new day for CONCACAF. That added gravitas and legitimacy to his debonair appearance. Long before Webb became the head of CONCACAF and a FIFA vice president, he was appointed to its internal audit committee, where he had defended Sepp Blatter against rumors of corruption in 2002. Webb built a reputation as a reformer and was even talked about as a successor to Blatter. By the time he took over CONCACAF in 2012, the Cayman Island native embodied the style and substance that so many FIFA officials before him had only pretended to represent. Even with his $2 million a year CONCACAF salary, frequent use of private jets, and love of nightlife, Webb appeared to be exactly what soccer needed after Jack Warner and Chuck Blazer's scandalous tenure. But not everyone saw Webb as a savior of global soccer. Certainly not Jose Avila. Avila was one of soccer's most important dealmakers and the owner of the sports marketing firm Traffic Group. Jose Avila got his start as a sports announcer covering Brazilian soccer in the 1970s. He built a small media empire with TV stations and newspapers, then went into sports marketing. Traffic Group came to dominate the lucrative contracts with FIFA's American and Latin American football confederations. When the man known as the boss of Brazilian football first met Jeffrey Webb in London in 2012, all the sports marketing mogul saw was another crooked FIFA official 
albeit a well-dressed one. If Avila wanted access to CONCACAF's lucrative regional tournaments, Webb demanded he pay him a jaw-dropping 25% on every deal he made. Even by FIFA's greedy standards, it was a stunning request. Avila had been paying bribes for more than 20 years. He knew he'd have to pay one. He just hoped to talk Webb down a little bit. A few months later, after their initial London meeting, Avila's firm wired $1 million to Webb. The hands in the cookie jar might have changed, but they were as greedy as ever. After his meeting with the FBI and IRS agents outside of Trump Tower in 2011, Chuck Blazer, Warner's right-hand man turned FBI informant, was asked to do what pretty much every government snitch is asked to do at some point, wear a wire. Blazer had already outlined FIFA's shady inner workings for the FBI, mapping out years of corruption. He not only connected the dots, Blazer showed federal agents how soccer's system of illegal payments were made and who made them. Now, the FBI wanted Blazer to record his conversations with dodgy soccer officials. But there was just one problem. Blazer was physically too big to wear a wire. When he moved, the wire disconnected, and his sweat threatened to short-circuit the listing device. I swear I'm not making this up. The FBI instead came up with another plan and inserted a microphone inside a small key fob. The idea was he would place his keys on the table during the conversation. Blazer hated the idea. I mean, he really loathed it. He argued and fought with his FBI handlers. He insisted it was beneath a man of his importance and taste to toss keys on a table. Which, considering the types of places he frequented, expensive New York steakhouses and Michelin star-type restaurants, it wasn't exactly wrong. And yet, as Blazer sat down at a table in a five-star restaurant in London in the closing days of the 2012 Summer Olympics with Jose Avila, the same man Jeffrey Webb would later squeeze, there the key fob sat, waiting for the two crooks to talk. Avila had been at the center of soccer corruption ever since he founded his sports marketing company, Traffic Group. The Brazilian mogul started paying bribes in the late 80s and never stopped, regularly doling out cash to win the rights to organize some of FIFA's premier events, including CONCACAF's Gold Cup tournament and Comebol's Copa America. Advertisers and broadcasters who wanted deals with the coveted Copa America and Copa do Brasil tournaments had to go through traffic because they had exclusive marketing rights. That's from a CNN investigation, by the way. Among the many FIFA officials Avila bribed were Jack Warner and Chuck Blazer. At first, the bribes were relatively small, a few hundred thousand dollars. But as the advertising revenue grew, so did the payoffs. By 2013, Avila and co-conspirators had agreed to pay $100 million in bribes for a Copa America contract spread among 11 different FIFA officials. As Blazer and Avila sat chatting that summer day in 2012, Blazer pressed Avila to talk about a $600,000 payment the Brazilian had made to Blazer back in 2003. Blazer had requested the money years earlier as a loan 
It was the type of loan both men knew would never get paid back. As they sat there in London talking, the fob recorded every word. Avila said he couldn't remember the payment. He stalled. Suspicious, maybe. But he promised Blazer he would look into it. The Brazilian had avoided implicating himself for now. But Blazer had told the FBI all about how Avila operated, and now the feds were tracking the mogul's every move. So who is Jose Avila? At 69 years old, Avila had built a fortune buying and selling the rights to broadcast soccer games. He had almost sold his stake in Traffic Group. But when the 2008 financial crisis hit, his $280 million payday just disappeared overnight. Now, five years later, he was once again ready to get out. Sports marketing was getting more competitive and the payoffs were getting larger and more difficult to facilitate. Avila didn't want the hassle anymore. He had already made a ton of money, more than he knew what to do with. Welcome to Miami. In May of 2013, the Brazilian businessman arrived in Miami, hoping to add a 4,000-square-foot beachside home to his already impressive stable of properties. Then his hotel phone rang, and the front desk asked him to come down to the lobby. Avila was surprised. It was 6 in the morning. What came next terrified him. In the lobby was an FBI agent. Jared Randall introduced himself and asked if Avila had ever tried to bribe soccer officials. Then Agent Randall listed off several names. Nicholas Leoz, Ricardo Teixeira, and Chuck Blazer. Stunned, Avila pleaded ignorance. After a short conversation, Randall thanked him and left. Avila had just lied to the FBI, and the FBI knew it. Chuck Blazer had provided federal investigators with documents and receipts of wire transfers detailing hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes he'd received from Avila and Traffic Group. Now, this is another key moment in the 2015 FIFA case that led to the raid at the Borlach. There was a whole group of people that paid bribes. There's a whole group of people that assisted and facilitated the movement of those bribes. And then there was a whole bunch of people that accepted those bribes. That's former IRS special agent Amy Shabillion pointing out that bribery in the 21st century requires a lot of people to facilitate illegal payments, particularly bribes paid by wire transfer, which is how many of FIFA's illegal payments were made. Even though they originate, let's say, from Switzerland and they end up in Uruguay, they still have to come through the U.S. The U.S. financial system is the foundation of global finance. Just about every payment made in the world touches an American bank, which means the U.S. government has jurisdiction in just about every case of financial corruption. So if you ever wondered how the FBI and the IRS got involved in a global soccer bribery scandal, well, it's because the crooks at FIFA use the U.S. system to make their payments, giving the Department of Justice jurisdiction. And once Jose Avila lied to FBI agent Jared Randall that early morning in Miami, the FBI had all it needed to arrest him. A few days later, the FBI did just that. Not surprisingly, the multimillionaire who spent his life frolicking among the rich and famous 
chose to flip just like Chuck Blazer, rather than risk spending the rest of his life in a U.S. prison. After his arrest, Avila took up residence in an apartment in New York City as he worked with investigators. FIFA's corruption, the most well-known secret in global sports, would soon be printed in black and white and held up by America's attorney general for the whole world to see. They were expected to uphold the rules that keep soccer honest and to protect the integrity of the game. Instead, they corrupted the business of worldwide soccer to serve their interests and to enrich themselves. You'll hear that and more in the next episode of The Lords of Soccer. The Lords of Soccer, How FIFA Stole the Beautiful Game, is an Inside Voices media production in conjunction with iHeartRadio. The series was written and executive produced by Gary Scott and me, Connor Powell. Logan Heftel and Katie McMurrin provided the sound design with assistance from J.C. Swadek and Jake Bluenote. Alec Cowan is our associate producer, and Jeffrey Katz was our story editor. Our fact checker is Alexa O'Brien. And thanks to Miles Gray, who produced this series for iHeartRadio. If you have any comments or questions, please reach out. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Connor M. Powell, and Gary is at Gary Robert Scott. And if you have any stories about FIFA, let us know. If you like what you hear, please give us a shout out at the hashtag Lords of Soccer. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. He was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Today. 